0: A start on Demand. demand.
1: A day after even a wind chill of minus 50 was not enough to keep the school buses from running. There were no school buses running in Winnipeg today. We'll find out why. Mayor Brian Bowman paid us a visit today. We chatted about Winnipeg Transit, Premier Brian Pallister, and heated sidewalks. Why heated sidewalks, you say? St. John's, Newfoundland is looking at doing that. And we talked to a councillor there to get some details. An American women's hockey gold medalist gets mansplained during her television debut in rather shameful fashion. And we'll tell you the story of a woman who was stuck in an elevator in New York for three days. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, January 31st podcast. For the start, We start this half hour on the school bus, Loren.
2: Yeah, schools are open in Winnipeg, but for the first time this week, the buses aren't going to be running. On extremely cold days, that's a call the six major school divisions usually make around 6 a.m. But late yesterday afternoon, a note went out advising parents and students that they had come to the early decision to cancel buses this morning because these prolonged periods of cold have impacted their bus fleets. To explain more, we're joined by Ted Franzen. Uh, He's the superintendent for Pemina Trails School Division, but is also the person who typically sends out that weather-related note on behalf of the Winnipeg Big School Divisions on extremely cold days. Good morning, Ted.
3: Good morning.
2: So is this really just a decision that came down to the fact that too much cold meant too many buses weren't working properly?
3: Well, that's a big part of it. They weren't working properly, and therefore too many students were waiting longer than anticipated. So it's a combination. Student safety is always paramount, and since we didn't have uh, all of our buses up and running properly, uh, students were waiting too long, and therefore unsafe.
4: Ted, we spoke to Winnipeg School Division yesterday morning and got an update from them. The number we got at the time was about 10 buses in their division. Were there other divisions that were affected in terms of their equipment?
3: All, the, all six divisions reported uh, to each other, to, so we, have a, we, we debriefed together at the end of the day yesterday. Uh, Towards the end of the day. So all of them reported, all of us reported, that there were uh, some uh, mechanical issues that had caused buses not to run. So it was across the city.
2: Now, the threshold typically for school divisions in Winnipeg is a minus 45 wind chill. Currently at the Forks, and that's the reading that you folks use, uh, it is minus minus. 37 with the wind i'm just trying to get an accurate reading so we're well below what would be your threshold so technically this is the warmest day of the week that buses aren't (laughs) running so what do you say to you know parents who might think you know what if we had made this call wednesday on a day when it was colder we might not be here today with no buses running
3: that's a great question a fair question and it has to do with none of us could have predicted three days ago that this cold spell was going to last this long so it's always a combination of the day and then how long it's going to last. And so hindsight is 2020, 20, and I wish that we would have our buses running today.
4: So, Ted, could this uh, mean a reconsideration or a reevaluation of the policy as it stands?
3: You know, we're always interested in, in applying new information to the decisions we make. So we're not close to reviewing what we do.
1: Lots of comments yesterday on our Facebook and Twitter suggesting that you should use the airport reading as opposed to the forks. And I know that many of the divisions are within the city limits where the wind gets cut down, but a lot of schools and a lot of people live sort of in open areas closer to the outskirts or what have you. So why not use the
3: airport? That's a great question. Uh, we have you know hundreds of schools around the city and they're all in different circumstances. So, some of them would be like the forks, some of them would be like the airport, and many of them, the, probably the majority, would be in between. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a question worth asking, and right now we, are, we have settled on the forks, and uh, that's uh, a decision that we could certainly review.
4: I I would guess, and and I'm just thinking as the decisions I make in my life, I try to look at the worst case scenario. So the airport, I think you could argue, would be the worst case scenario or very close to it. And so that, that might be the better way to go. We were examining... The high temperatures, or the <laughs> the best of the cold temperatures, and and the forks was the warmest for a great part of yesterday morning. So uh, obviously, this has alerted us to uh, some different things and some different dif- different conditions that we haven't been subjected to in some time. And now we have this wild card this morning. Of this power outage out in East St. Paul. And that's, of course, where River East Transcona School Division parks their school buses. They might have been in a world of hurt uh, had this decision not been made yesterday anyway.
3: Yes. Yeah. I'm not not sure if there's a question there. Sorry.
4: No, I just wanted you, you know, just in a general sense that uh, we might have been in a real mess for at least one of the six major school divisions without power since 3.30 or so this morning uh, for uh, about 100 buses of the River East East Transcona School Division. Sorry, Ted. Right,
3: right. And no problem. And our policy is nimble enough. So you might remember a few weeks ago when we cancelled the buses for the for two of our metro divisions that have rural routes. So River East Transcona and Seven Oaks couldn't get their buses outside of the city. So the announcement that went out from my email was that all buses in Winnipeg were running except those two. Uh, And yet we have two other divisions within the city that have rural routes, but they were able to get out different part of the city. So our policy is nimble enough to allow us to to differentiate. So if the East St. Paul buses couldn't run, the announcement today would have been all buses in Winnipeg are running other than the buses that River East Transcon are, are using.
2: Ted, I'm curious, you know, I, I wonder if parents, when they hear the buses are cancelled, even if their kid isn't a bus, student might choose not to send their kid to school. And does that weigh into the decision, for example, on a day like today, now that buses are cancelled, you might only have 10% of kids who take the bus, but you get a far higher, uh, le- you know, le- way less turnout because of of the buses being canceled. And so as a result, parents might just keep their kids home and that might impact decisions for the school.
3: That's a beautiful question. You know, on my very first day as superintendent at Pemina Trails uh, a number of years ago, we had a day like today where the buses weren't running and it was bitterly cold. And I had made a point for my first day I was going to do school visits. So I was in about five schools and many of them were, uh high bus population and i was pleased and surprised i have to admit by the high number of students that were in attendance i'm talking about elementary schools and i did surveys how many of you how many of you how many of you kids take the bus and and got a ride by your parents i was i will say shocked and pleased that parents valued the education so much that they adjusted their day for their drive to work to get their kids to school
1: Ted Franson, superintendent of the Pemina Trail School Division, thank you very much for joining us this morning for the update. We very much appreciate it.
3: My pleasure. Have a great day.
1: Maclean McGarry, McNabb, Kelly Moore is here. Sharon Pfeiffer is going to stick with us. Global online producer Jeff Forte is here. And here's the headline. I'm looking at a story at theguardian.com, but you you can find this story anywhere because it's crazy. The headline is woman trapped in billionaire's elevator rescued after three days, not three hours, three days. And a woman was rescued Monday after being trapped in the elevator of a billionaire's Manhattan townhouse for an entire weekend. She's now in the hospital in stable condition. She's not going to sue, apparently. She's just happy to be alive and (laughs) thankful for that. Doesn't go into the details on what she had to do to stay alive in her three by four foot prison cell. Three by four foot. Yeah, it's was pretty, she in the like uh, the waiter? Dumb
4: waiter? No. The, yeah, you know where they <laughs> how they move the food up and down. Yeah, that sounds
1: just, tiny. It is just a tiny. Uh, yeah, they're saying a three by three foot by four foot metal box. She was saved when a courier tried to make a delivery to the home and unknowingly set into motion a life saving chain of events. When they had someone check it out. So
5: Right, they had called 911, actually, because the elevator wasn't working. They had no idea that anyone was in that elevator, so they showed up to crank oh. open the elevator and discovered her inside. So no word that she hadn't been reported missing or anything, but she had worked for that family for many, many, many years. She didn't so. even yell? Like Did she have a no cell phone? And not unknown whether she'd even press an emergency button. But the family was away, so where that emergency button would have rung to or anything
2: is is unclear. But
1: and a lot of times, Forte, you asked about cell phones. Yeah. A lot of times, cell phones yeah. crap out.
2: They don't work. And I mean, in the big towers, cell cell phones won't work because of all the metal around you, and the, you're traveling at certain speeds and things like that. But yeah, and in a in a house, I don't like. Would would an old elevator have an emergency button? Like, it's not a super common thing to have. Homes with elevators. That's just a
4: frightening idea. Being contained in a in an area that small for that long. I I think
1: three hours. Brett, you mentioned that even that would be too too long for me. Wow. Yeah, I was stuck in an elevator once. uh, I was at a hotel for my birthday, and there were like ten of us in this elevator, and it stopped. Mm. And we wait. We called, and they said, "Okay, we'll send somebody to check it out." And Ten minutes go by, nothing. We call them again. Yeah, we're still trying to get somebody to come check it out. And uh, one of the the girls with us was she was freaking out, losing her mind. So we like MacGyvered our way out of there. We opened the we opened the door Did it yourselves? Yeah, we opened the doors and we we were like half between floors, right we, out of the movies. And we pulled ourselves out of there. And uh, and I feel so bad. I can still see her curled up in the corner crying wow. oh, my as we word. tried to coax her out because she was scared the elevator would start moving. Sure, and yeah, she sure. trapped. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's It's kind of an interesting social experiment almost if you're trapped in the elevator with other people like who's who's going to be the crier, who's going to be the screamer, who <laughs> panics when they think they're not going to panic, who's going to take matters into their own hands and rip the door open. Like You kind of think you're going to be ABCD mm-hmm. but you don't know until well, you're in there. That's where
5: phobias really would kick in too. You might not even know you have one until you're in one yeah. of those situations and then are you claustrophobic, are you you, do you have anxiety? What are those things that will jump out at you?
4: I think we have a new reality show. Yes. <laughs> Forget should. Big Big Brother and all these other things that take place on islands and houses in, in the elevator. See what yeah. happens. Stuck in an elevator. Happened to you ever, Kelly? Uh, you know what? I have not, but I know there was one time we were at the, the Walmart in Nelson, British Columbia, and it was part of a mall, and my wife actually got locked in the women's washroom. I guess the cleaning crew came in there was close to closing time. They didn't holler out anybody in here or anything. So my wife's trying to get out and realize she's locked in. Thankfully, her cell phone did work. So she phoned my sister, who happened to be at the till at the time. And uh, they said, hey... <laughs> Get the door open. Now, that was only 15 minutes or so that she was stuck, Mm. but it must have seemed like a lifetime.
2: Oh, I've seen uh, had cases where kids have been, you watch them, they can't figure out how to unlock the door. And it's just an immediate panic where they go into this, get me out of here. And you're like, you're in a house. There's water in the sink. I'm right here. Worst case scenario, we'll take the door off. But yeah. I still still do that. I still do that. And I still panic. Like if you find yourself like just because and, and you're in screw- like someone's bathroom, you're jiggling the the knob yeah. and you're stuck in there and you start freaking out. Listen to his voice, it's so high pitched right now. Is it you can do you're any, stressful.
4: it's probably the best place <laughs> to be stuck. Anything you need to do, you can do it. That's there. right. Yeah. That's right.
2: But it's also really embarrassing I was because like, say, you it's have people the
4: outside the
1: door. Yeah. And just, uh.
4: well, that that side of it, of course. My biggest uh, frightening situation was the exact opposite of that. I was in a washroom in a hotel in downtown Minneapolis on a business call. Jackie and Brendan had gone to go get a bucket of ice somewhere. We were in a very large hotel. Alexander decided to stick around. But I guess he changed his mind halfway through my phone call and I went out into the room and he was gone and I went out into the hallway, I couldn't see him. And finally, I found him behind a pillar crying his eyes out because he'd made a bad decision. I, that, that was the longest two and a half minutes of my life, not knowing exactly where he was, let me tell you. Yeah,
5: we had that happen. We had a road trip, and you mentioned B.C., and it was in Merritt, B.C. We stopped at a McDonald's, the kids and I, and, and uh, one of the kids went into the bathroom, and my daughter and I actually just sort of finished up the order, and we walked across in a corner, and it was fairly busy, and the boy came out of the bathroom and didn't see us, and, and uh. Uh, we were watching and waiting for him to come out and we didn't see him and then we're like okay well how long do we stand in the same place before we start looking for him I almost walked into the men's bathroom looking for him and and thought no I'm not going to do that and walked outside walked inside and in those moments it's really distressing going how at what point do we start calling 911 and we did all find each other again Mm. but he never ever ever wants to go back to Merritt BC
2: (laughs) (laughs) really stuck in his head that's funny
1: (laughs) I got stuck in a playground structure once when I was like five or six. It was this old, just, I don't even know what it was. It was just basically like I was climbed up on top of the, the, it was like just this old wooden beast, and I fell through it. One of my legs fell through it because it was so old and rotted, and my leg got stuck. I couldn't pull myself out of it. So I had to send my sister to go grab our day sitter. And then she came and started yelling at me for being so stupid. <laughs> and so I'm crying because I'm stuck and I'm in pain. And then I'm crying because she's telling me I'm an idiot. Great. Great. Yeah. I'm trying
2: to picture what this would have been. Like, it doesn't exist anymore. No,
1: it's just one of those. I mean, M- playgrounds. Like were most so play structures, they're
2: like, this is dangerous, highly, highly dangerous for a fireman's pole to oh, be in the middle of. Oh, there were death
4: a- traps. A lot of the playgrounds <laughs> we played on when we were kids, full of slivers of wood oh, and, yeah. and I, things that, you know, it just, if you'd run at it or fallen on, on the right angle, it would have been. No such thing been, as three quarter cut rock either. It was all on cement pads. <laughs> oh, for sure. Absolutely, <laughs> it was.
1: We're going to talk to CAA Manitoba in a moment, but before we do that, we got a couple of text messages here regarding the getting stuck. We talked about a woman who got stuck in an elevator for three days in New York. What are our listeners saying? Well, this one, uh, my hands are
4: still sweating from reading this one from Jeff. I was once stuck in a crawl space under a house between the joists and the dirt on a major renovation. Had to get one of the other contractors to grab my feet and pull me backwards to get out. Ooh. Not a nice feeling. Yeah. He says, Yeah, no kidding. That
1: sounds horrific. That is terrible. And continue. You can text us your stories 204 780 6868. We would love to hear. McNabb, did your car chug this morning when you started it?
2: It uh, it actually, I, might, I said earlier, I felt sorry for my car today because I felt like it was day three, kind of like when you have a cold and you're just done with it. But it's technically warmer out there, but the cold has prevented so many from starting their vehicles uh, that yesterday CAA actually suspended its at-home service so it could focus on emergency calls. And that was after a record-breaking day for CAA, where on Tuesday, more than 31 people called for help. That's five times the normal number it would get on a typical winter day and means at least two people were calling every single minute. Erica Miller is with CAA and joins us on the phone now for more on just how things are shaking out the last 24 hours. Good morning, Erica. Good morning. So did we break any more records yesterday?
6: Well, you know, the last eight days of the polar vortex weather has definitely made demand for service overwhelming. And we did see another 3,200 calls yesterday.
2: So again, so that's even more than you had the day before.
6: We continue to break records and we continue to put an emphasis on member safety and driver safety as well.
4: Speaking of your drivers, uh, they must be getting exhausted. And how is your equipment holding up? Are you having breakdowns of your own?
6: Well... Our drivers and contractors have been working overtime to get to people as quickly as possible. And in this weather, and any weather, you can see some mechanical breakdowns. We take those cars off the road and we fix them immediately. And member and driver safety at the end of the day is our top priority. We're making sure that our drivers get enough brakes, stay warm, that they can get out there and help people without compromising their own safety.
2: What's the biggest issue you're hearing from people? Is it still largely batteries?
6: absolutely batteries is number 1 and in some cases we receive calls we find that it might be a boost but because of the 8 days of freezing temperatures we've gone out to people's homes to find that in some cases their batteries are frozen rock solid then that boost becomes a toe the toes take longer and they use more resources and so we're asking people to be patient and stay warm, and enjoy a cup of coffee while they wait.
1: So when you're taking 3,200 calls, two calls a minute, do you have to bring more people in to answer those phones?
6: We are working with all of our staff uh, over time to make sure that we can get to those calls, that we can get those drivers on the road, and we are absolutely taking a look at our schedule and the weather forecast every day to find Uh, Different ways that we can resource and leverage the resources that we have to make sure we're getting to everybody who needs us.
4: Erica, can you just confirm for us here, uh, I was sure I heard it on one of our uh, sister stations here at Chorus Radio Winnipeg, and maybe even in an email, but I've never heard it on our air necessarily, that if members cannot get through to you and they're managed to get another provider to get their vehicle started, you will reimburse them?
6: Yeah, Greg, that is an option. Uh, we understand how frustrating waiting for service can be, especially when people have places to be. And that's one of the options that they can exercise is call a another tow provider wherever they are in Manitoba. And if that tow provider can come out and give them that boost or the tow that they need, all they need to do is save their receipt and submit it to us and we'll reimburse them. We know that the reality is that there's a lot of people at home right now who've had to wait longer than what we feel is our acceptable service standard. And we're going to be proactively reaching out to members in the near future who have been in those situations to make it right as well.
1: And to confirm, just uh, once again, yesterday was another record-breaking day with how many calls?
6: We had 3,200 yesterday.
1: Just
2: before we let you go, Erica, I know yesterday, because you were so busy, you were suspending that at-home service. Do you have any sense that that might be be the same this morning if I wake up and my car is not running, but I'm already at home in a warm, safe place? Uh, will, will, Will you respond to those calls today?
6: Today, the at-home service is still suspended, but we are taking a look at the weather. And as we work through the calls that we've received, we're absolutely taking a look to make sure that we can reinstate that home service as soon as possible.
1: Erica Miller with CAA Manitoba. Thank you so much for the update. Very much appreciated.
6: Thank you, guys. Stay warm.
1: Mackling McGarry McNabb and Mayor Brian Bowman, joining us live on CJOB. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good
7: morning. I'm just shaking my head because uh, my kids listen to CJOB. Uh, go to school today, guys. <laughs> listen to your mother. <laughs> I was okay. going to ask, hey, Hayden go? Austin, you're going to school. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that, guys. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I had a There's friend, a lot of parents out there right now having conversations with their kids.
2: I had a friend yesterday post on Facebook a photo of her kid. She got them all dressed up for school and yeah. then told him school had actually been canceled because they live outside oh, the city and yeah. she's a real prankster. So she got them all good yeah. to go. And she then moved said, to the
7: city. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so a big day city hall finally uh having its first council meeting of 2019 and then there's like, several things on the agenda one of which yeah. is bus shields i imagine that's going to pass there'll be no opposition to anyone saying no to bus shields on city buses
7: yeah i i, I met uh, with a number of members of council yesterday and uh you know uh, no one has raised any objections to what's coming forward from uh, executive policy committee I, I think council's done collectively some good work on this and uh um, you know, we'll see today, you, know, you never know at, uh, at council, but, uh, there is a collective desire by all members of council and the public service to uh, to continue to make improvements to transit safety, as well as uh, rider experience and the reliability of the system. And so, there's there's a lot more work to do. I do think this is the year of transit, and uh, the question is going to be how uh, how far politically can uh, can council uh, move to really reform transit? It's it's uh, I've all often said it, I think it's your uh, grandma and grandpa's uh, transit system it hasn't really changed significantly. Uh, from a rider experience in in a generation and so there's good people working at transit um but there's uh, there's there's more work in leadership that council needs to provide to really make some some big changes
4: Well on that same vein uh, we we had a listener inquiry yesterday how are those electric buses doing? And we made an inquiry Jeff Courier did to the city. I was shocked to learn that we don't have any electric buses on the streets right now. What's going on there? Maribona? Yeah, there were
7: four. I mean, there were four buses that were bring that were initially uh, worked on as a pilot. And this was a, a, a team effort between Red River, uh, Mitsubishi, New Flyer, and the province and the city. And. Uh, you know, there were uh, they were brought in. Uh, technologies evolved a lot. Um, I want to see the electrification of the fleet. and um and that's absolutely something that the council is is working towards. Uh, there's obviously um funding that needs to be required, and that's one of the what things being considered as part of the operational review as as well as the budget overall in terms of improvements to transit.
2: You mentioned political will, and then there's the financial situation about finding the money for that. but then yeah. there's also what what can feel like sometimes this repeated desire to study. The issue again, and we've studied electric buses before, and the desire to go there, and then another report is being commissioned now to look at how this would work. Is it time maybe just to say, like we we know we want to go there, let's stop consulting on this issue and start taking some action?
7: Well, you need to make sure you have a, a plan to, to roll it out properly, and uh, the the technology has evolved. I've I've been to, to New Flyer, for example. I've I've learned more personally about uh, how it, how it works. Uh, one of the challenges we're going to have is just uh, the the technology that we use, and it's it's gotten to the point now where um, we're being advised that that it's 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 almost ready. If not, we can start taking those those early steps to uh, to to implementing it on a broader level. Uh, one of the big challenges we're going to have is just the the capacity of the system to to charge that many buses at night. Is it you know in one location? Is it dispersed? Uh, the the pilot that we did had uh, charging along the route, whereas uh, what what we're looking at is is an option of charging within a single uh, single location. Uh, so at night they would charge for the next day. Uh, there's a load to the system, and there's work that has to happen, and so it's not something that you can just snap your fingers and, and it's it's there. But uh, I want to move as quickly as possible, and uh, I think Winnipeggers do as well. We've got uh, you know we've got Hydro here in Winnipeg. We've got uh, companies like New Flyer that are doing world class work. Uh, we should be the the really that that home to to electric uh, buses, and and I'm I'm obviously determined to to see that happen.
4: Big city mayors conference opportunity to compare notes with mayors uh, around the country curious if you confirmed one way or the other if the premier's allegation that you have the sweetest deal of all cities uh is true or not
7: uh, <laughs> there was discussion uh there's absolutely uh some downloading that's happening in in other jurisdictions uh, uh notably ontario and, and manitoba that's happening uh, to municipalities uh there, there are challenges that have to happen, and we got to work together with our provincial and our federal partners. That's why the big city mayors caucus is is so important, and why dialogue with our provincial partners is really important. Um, I think taxpayers expect all levels of government to do what they can to to work together and uh, not simply shift risk and and financial is, burdens is, on 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 other levels of government. Is there
4: sandpaper there between you and the the premier? How often are you in communication with the premier?
7: Um, I've met with him uh, probably two or three times formally. Uh, you know, we see each other at events occasionally, but uh, you know, definitely have uh, more robust dialogue with some of his ministers and with um, uh, with the federal government. You know, I, I, I have met uh, fairly frequently with uh, with the prime minister, and um, and that's something that that I do appreciate having access to a prime minister to be able to bend his ear. I, you know, I saw him earlier this week, and we had uh, uh, good discussions, and um, you know, in Ottawa, but. Um, you know, the dialogue has to happen and and we need we need everybody working together. I mean, the, the, that whole branding of better together is something that resonates with me. I think it's an admirable goal. We need to we, we all need to work collaboratively to to operationalize that.
2: But are you not getting that dialogue? because you're asking and getting a no for the meeting or just the ask hasn't got in. And it's, At this level, it's more just meeting with those provincial counterparts as opposed to a mayor to premier meeting no, have, and
7: adding more of them. I, in fairness, the cabinet ministers, uh, you know, I, I met yesterday with Minister Fielding and Minister Wharton, As uh, Councillor Scott Gillingham and I and officials uh, met. Um, you know, I have to say uh, Cameron Friesen, for example, uh, Minister of Health has been, uh, h- h- the dialogue with him on on some of the meth issues has been, has been solid uh, and, and there's been a, a good, good working relationship with him. Um, so, you know, I would obviously uh, always welcome uh, greater access to the premier of our province. Um, and that's something when I have met with him, we've had really, really good dialogue. Um, I've, I've always appreciated sitting down with him. Uh, He's a guy that uh, people can disagree with uh, the policies of any political leader, but uh, no one should doubt his passion for this province. and, and And I try to work as collaboratively as I can while remembering my interests are to protect taxpayers in the city of Winnipeg.
1: I want to first commend you for sneaking the words robust dialogue into a conversation. <laughs> I got I to gotta try to steal that. And second, I want to pitch uh, our question of the day to you, which yeah. is brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. Should Winnipeg join in St. John's in considering adding some heated sidewalks downtown? Your answers are
7: yes, now, 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 or no waste of money. Uh, I actually think it's it's worthwhile to study that. You know, uh, I've heard in in uh, in some countries in Europe, for instance, they will be creative with uh, wastewater that comes out of buildings and and use that to heat and melt ice on sidewalks. Uh, I've never looked into this, but there I would never rule anything like that out, especially in a cold weather uh, cold weather city. There may be ways in which we can pioneer innovations that can the intellectual property can be exported. Uh, I mean, we are a winter city, and so, I would never rule anything like that out, and I'd I'd need to learn more though, to be honest. Well,
4: you pair that with geothermal. We're a leader in that mm-hmm. in Helsinki. A lot of the sidewalks are heated, and the public squares so that they can uh, eliminate yeah. a, a lot of ice there. Uh, you mentioned the the health minister Friesen. Yeah. Any more discussion with regard to your? Suggestion of consideration. I don't want to call it a threat, so I'm trying to use more polite language to pull and uh, basically hand back uh, ambulance service to the to the province. Essentially,
7: uh, there hasn't been any recent dialogue on that. Um, council's uh, direction is is clear. Uh, we we're we're not responsible for health. Uh, health is a provincial jurisdiction. We have been the contractor to provide the service on behalf of the province and the city of Winnipeg. So it's not a question of uploading the, the responsibility. It's always been a provincial responsibility. Uh, what we've uh, directed to our public service in discussions with the province, as well as for our budget that we're working on right now, is we'll provide the service, um, but we'll, we'll do it on a, on, a, on a cost-neutral basis. So no, no uh, additional cost to, to city taxpayers for provincial service. And in the context of some of the downloading that's happening right now from the province... Um, that's entirely appropriate. Uh, the Premier has said that he sees federal and uh, municipal taxes as a threat to the economic prosperity of the province. We want to keep taxes low, and this is how we can do it, is uh, by everybody uh, taking care of what they're responsible for.
2: There's still no date set for the budget for the City of Winnipeg. We know it's March 7th for the province. Are you waiting until that before the city goes?
7: Uh, no. You know what, uh, we, we will be announcing the date of tabling, but uh, you know we've been working on it in, in absence of uh, clarity about the, the numbers from the province.
1: Mayor Brian Bowman joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Mayor, sorry we left you stranded outside for five minutes.
7: (laughs) Cold shoulder from CJOB. It's just a matter of time. Have a great day, everybody. Stay warm and look out for each other today.
1: We go now to St. John's Newfoundland. The headline... At globalnews.ca, CJOB.com, St. John's, Newfoundland, the latest Canadian city to flirt with the idea of heated downtown sidewalks. We're going to speak with Sandy Hickman, councillor for the city of St. John's, live right now on the start. Councillor Hickman, good morning.
0: Good morning, Gary. How are you all today? We're good. We're cold Things here. Chilly. Things are chilly in Winnipeg. Plus three here today.
4: Oh, come on oh, now, councilman. I'm you know sorry. better than that. <laughs>
0: we do get snow, though. and That's why we're talking about the sidewalks.
2: So explain that to us. I mean, how much snow would you guys see that would make you think, you know what, might make sense to heat these sidewalks?
0: Well, uh, Holland, uh, Michigan, which is a city that uh, an article was written about that I noticed recently, which gave me the idea, gets about seven feet. We get more than that for sure. Some winters will get a lot more. Uh, other winters will have storms that give us, say, 10 to 20, 25 centimetres, and then a few days later it melts a bit and those kinds of things. We've had that this winter. We've had two weeks now with uh, no snow, really, and some warm temperatures, some cold temperatures. So there's not much snow on the ground now, certainly in areas there's none. But we will have more snow this winter, and we'll get it. Sometimes we get a little bit late in March because uh, the weather's temperatures around zero, plus or minus... And there's a lot of moisture in the air. So sometimes we'll get wet snow in uh, up to late March sometimes and occasionally into April. So it's something that the season is there for it. There's no question. There's a, there's a, a very big expense on our city uh, expense account for snow clearing. And what I want to point out to our listeners is that St. John's is a lot different from Winnipeg and, and other prairie cities. We are not flat. <laughs> we are a very hilly city. We are a seaside city, so you get uh, the development that happened since, you know, the 1500s, very narrow streets downtown. So we have to actually remove the snow from those seats, blow it into trucks, and truck it away. That costs a lot of money, of course, a lot of extra time, as opposed to suburban areas where we just uh, push it back and sometimes blow it back onto the lawns, etc. So downtown is the area I'm concerned with. I also am a little bit concerned that... uh, We are seeing a little bit of a trend to uh, some offices moving to suburban uh, office parks, and there is some vacancy right downtown. And we need a little pop in in some energy and some new thinking downtown. So we are also doing, uh, again, Water Street, we claim, is the oldest street in North America. And the pipe infrastructure underground is pretty well the oldest infrastructure in North America. So we are doing a rehab project all along Water Street, which is about two kilometers uh, over five years to try and lessen the period of time each year. And uh, my suggestion was, look, we're taking the sidewalks up anyway. Why can't we look at at least doing a pilot project on on a block of that area, seeing if we can find an affordable, sensible, cost-effective way to lay down uh, tubes or wires or whatever technology is out there and then, and then look at the operating cost over a couple of years and just see if it's feasible. Now, Holland and, and Michigan and Reykjavik and, our, and Iceland have hot water, steam, etc., that they can use. We don't have that advantage, but maybe we can find some heat from sewer systems or we can find uh, some way of sharing electrical costs. So our engineers are looking at that. They have taken this project down. They will do their best practices, research. They will look at technologies around North America and, indeed, Europe where this is more popular. And just see if it can work. We unfortunately won't be able to do it for this year's phase. They already have the specs done and they're going to tender fairly very, very soon. So that disappoints me. But what I'm trying to do is just find another way of, of injecting a little bit of life into uh, Water Street, Duckworth Street, our downtown streets to make it. Uh, a little more attractive in the winter for uh, walking and running and people who wander around the stores and the restaurants.
4: Well, i got to tell you this, Counselor. If we were at Dragon's Den right now and you were pitching this as an idea, I would be in. <laughs> I, I would have whatever money I had to invest in this, also, I'm in. You did a great sales pitch on this. What has the response been from your constituents in, in St. John's?
0: Well, yeah, it's uh, there's always uh, naysayers, no question about that. The Twitter lottery are out there, and uh, I I, I expected that, but generally, been very good and open to the idea of at least researching this and having a look at it, and if it comes in at, let's say, millions of dollars per 500 meters, or as opposed to a couple hundred thousand dollars, then that's two different conversations. So, we have to find out the exact, uh, or pretty well exact uh, capital cost, and then have a look at how uh, the operating costs would be. So I'm talking. We you need to to do this anywhere from late November off and on through early December, and uh, up until mid to late March, occasionally in early April. So we're not talking twelve months. Of course, we're not talking even six months. I would say off and on five months. So what kind of cost would that be? And what is the cost benefit analysis to the merchants downtown and to the people of the city and in taking back their downtown in the winter. Uh, we do have problems in the winter uh, with snow clearing, as I said, up on sidewalks, and it takes a few days to blow it into trucks and get it out of there. So there, we we, we had a special problem this year because we had a storm just before Christmas, and the downtown store owners were very upset that the snow wasn't, like, immediately gone. Now, would it be immediately gone with a heated sidewalk? Not if it's a heavy snow snowstorm, for sure. But, you know, five centimeters eight centimeters, that would melt over a number of hours for sure. And uh, But we need to look at this very thoroughly and look at what other technologies are used around the world and just see what might fit our situation. And again, as I said, look at the cost benefit analysis.
1: All right, Sandy Hickman joining us from St. John's, Newfoundland, Councillor with the City of St. John's. Thank you so much for this. Again, great pitch. Well,
0: it's been great talking to you, and thank you for the uh, the interest and good luck with the vortex.
4: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> Just as I was ready to to embrace you and maybe even move to St. John's for for a part time, that now that plan's off the table, Counselor. Thanks for the time. Though. Way.
0: Don't worry, we'll get it soon.
4: You got
1: so it, man. Nice All of you. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy Hickman joining us live from Newfoundland, and I know that here in Manitoba, we love to. To sort of proclaim ourselves the kings of winter, but St. John's, while their temperature is warmer, they get pounded by snow. Oh, yes. And I think uh, the councilor was a little a little generous there. They can snow
4: right up until April and mm-hmm. May. And, you know, September is really, from the, the people from Newfoundland I know, late August and September is the best month of the year weather wise, most predictable anyway. But
2: he mentioned, I think it was a Michigan town where there mm-hmm. is the heated sidewalk. in Michigan, I believe. And, uh, apparently there they've turned their downtown core into like a running destination like people will choose to run downtown and do all these things right because it's it's, it's turned into like a, almost a tourism thing so he's selling it on two fronts one sounds practical but the other sounds like hey might get more people downtown more businesses more traffic
1: well we want to start with a story that's going to make you happy
4: special
2: Olympian
4: Amy Brokerstedt. Pared the sixteenth hole at the Phoenix Open. This is prior to tournament play. Yesterday, she was out with Gary Woodland, who is the defending champion, and Matt Kuchar, and she parred, as I mentioned, the sixteenth hole at at TPC Scottsdale, famous for its rowdy crowds. Brett, yeah, there's a stadium one, right? That's right. There's thousands of people on one hole. You might remember this from 1997. Tiger Woods sent the crowd into a frenzy, then delirium when he aced 16, the second of his career at that point.
0: He hit 16, listen to the crowd. Tiger's got 152 yards, should be just a nice comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. Yeah!
4: kicker take parade it looked like that because people were showering one another with beer and water it was incredible the professionals are often intimidated by the raucous backdrop at 16. yesterday the teenager Amy Brockerstedt didn't ace the hold but she did conquer it Brett this began as a meet and greet during a practice round with Gary Woodland and Matt Kutcher and uh, it's part of dream day as it's known where it's Special Olympic athletes from around Arizona get to play with PGA pros. Phoenix teenager Brockerstedt loves to play golf. She's previously twice qualified for the Arizona High School State Championship. She gra- graduated from Santa Ohio uh, O'Connor High School last year. And she has a full golf scholarship at Paradise Valley Community College in Phoenix.
1: And, oh, yeah, Amy has Down syndrome. Now, when she met Woodland and Kuchar, they invited her to walk the 16th with them and then asked her if she wanted to have a hit. With a couple thousand fans watching in the stands, Amy stepped up for a tee shot on the 163-yard par 3. Her first shot went into a steep bunker. Woodland then asks...
0: You want to hit it out? Yeah. You do?
5: Yes, I do. Let's let's do it. it. I got this. I love it. You can do this.
7: You can do this. Nice! (laughs) That is
3: awesome! That is awesome. Let's go. Let's go putt. We're going to okay. make
5: this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is so good. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. That was fantastic. Thank you. That was amazing.
4: So not only does she hit this beautiful shot of the sand trap, she puts it right on the green six to eight feet away from the hole. And then.
3: What do you think? Going a little left? Yeah you go ahead and make that? Okay. I got this. You got it? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yes! Yeah.
4: That is so awesome! Yes! You are so awesome! Thank you! That
3: is so good.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so
4: cool. You. Incredible. Give you. a big wave. Give a big wave. Oh. So she drains the putt, her mom comes out and hugs her, Woodland, Kutcher, the whole crowd. Uh, the video's available all over the internet right now, courtesy of the PGA Tour. And uh, Woodland said later, this is a great quote, We get to do a lot of cool things. I've got to do a lot of stuff, being the de- defending champion, but that, by far, was the coolest thing I've got asked
1: to do, and something I'll never forget yeah it's just it was so inspirational watching this and good for her i mean she had a pretty da- I'm, I'm so bad in the bunker i'd be would have been really intimidated she just slaps it out mm-hmm. and then drains this putt like it's just you have to watch the, the video
2: too because she's not only you can hear her confidence and her excitement when she hears the fans but then what's really neat i think is how she keeps looking up at the crowd and she when she says they like me they like this like she yeah. was thrilled to be part of that and oh i even just listened. i've listened to that three times and teared up
1: I'm going to play a piece of tape for you here. You know what? I'll just play it.
8: It's exciting, it's overwhelming, and I'm so excited to join
1: you here. So Tampa's going to be on your
4: left, Pittsburgh's going to be on your right. What are you expecting out of this game? We're paying you to be an analyst, not to be a fan tonight.
6: Uh, Yeah, I'm excited to see Tampa start. They've been off for 10 days, haven't had a game. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, had a tough loss on Monday. Got a little bit blown out of the water by New Jersey Devils, so I'm excited to see the start tonight.
1: Let's have a blast. Johnny, back to you. So you hear that, and it sounds like the, the broadcaster is... Talking to a fan who won, like, a contest or something. You know, they have these contests where you can be a play-by-play person for a segment or whatever.
2: Except for this person is, what, is she a four-time, five-time world gold medalist champion for the USA women's hockey team?
1: And that's, yeah, clearly, based on what she was saying not some contest winner. Uh, she
4: was on the ice with National Hockey League All-Stars this weekend. That's Kendall Coyne-Showfield. She competed in the fastest skater competition, filled in for Nathan McKinnon. She finished seventh in the competition, and M- a- NBC Sports invited her to be a guest analyst on the broadcast last night. And that was Pierre Maguire, the former coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, Lorraine, you're you're letting him off the hook a little bit. It felt like he was mansplaining her situation to her no i'm not i'm not
2: letting him off the hook when i read this though so i read the headline and they called it a cringe-worthy episode and he in quotes was like okay so pittsburgh's on the left tampa bay's on the right we're paying you to be an analyst tonight not a fan when i read that in quotes i was like you you know what Telling this amazing athlete who's yep. got more accolades than he will ever have. And not that you need you need to be a player to be a good analyst. That's not what I'm saying. But she's a player. And when I read the quotes, I was furious. When I listened to it, his tone is a little bit different. I still don't know why. It wasn't about the being paid to be an analyst that bugged me. It was the... Pittsburgh's on the left, Tambo's on the right. Just in case you don't know, lady who's played hockey since you were three years old. Like, that's what bugged me. The tone is different when I hear it, but the words are still brutal.
4: She has an Olympic gold medal in Pyeongchang in 2018, a silver medal in Sochi 2014, world championships, one, two, three, four. Five times a silver medal in the world championship and world under 18 championship gold medal twice and silver medal once. Yet she's about as accomplished as it comes in the world of hockey. She's like the United States version of Haley Wickenheiser
1: or Jennifer Botterell. Let's play this again for you now that you have the full context.
8: It's been exciting, it's overwhelming, and I'm so excited to join you here.
1: So Tampa's going to be on your left,
4: Pittsburgh's going to be on your right. What are you expecting out of this game? We're paying you to be an analyst, not to be a fan
8: tonight.
6: Uh, Yeah, I'm excited to see Tampa start. They've been off for 10 days, haven't had a game. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, had a tough loss on Monday, got a little bit blown out of the water by New Jersey Devils, so I'm excited to see the start tonight.
4: Let's have a blast.
2: Johnny, back to you. And here's my other thing. If that had been say a male hockey player uh with the same sort of credentials as her who hadn't yet made it to the nhl but had all those olympic medals to their name and all the other stuff would you have ever said that's my question if i ever get a chance to pierre talk to pierre would you have ever said to that person on the same playing field pittsburgh's on the left tampa bay's on the right like you just wouldn't have done that i i I can't see an argument where you would have done that and For her, she's since come out on Twitter saying, had a great time last night, thank you very much, all the rest. She's gonna, if she says anything, she sounds combative or whatever, she's probably gonna leave it. But there's no way he would have treated someone with the same resume. Like that.
4: Well, Brett mentioned sometimes they have these contests and these opportunities at different forums and different facilities where you can actually pay. I know that you can pay sometimes to to do these things. I mentioned to you off air, Loren, that if Pierre Maguire had spoken to uh, my 12 year old son in that same tone under the same circumstances, I would have been bothered because Alexander'd have he'd look at him and go, Yeah, no kidding, buddy and then come out with the expert analysis that she did. Maybe uh, Maguire should have done his homework as well as uh, Kendall Coyne did. Her homework on what had happened the previous two games uh, for for the Lightning and the Penguins. Yeah, I, I don't know. And I, I typically don't have a problem with Maguire. He says lots of dumb stuff. I didn't like this.
2: Now, there is a thing with the whole comment about we're paying you to be an analyst on a fan. As a journalist, you're never even supposed to be in the press box and clap, say, when your team scores. And it's hard not to do that. And it's hard not to pump your fist in the air when you see, say, the Jets in the playoff run, but you're up in the, the playoff box because you have to do anal- analysis after. And that that's something that people have to remind them Themselves, maybe not the veteran sports journalist, but myself. Whenever I do drop into a press press box, like I did in Minnesota last year, I sat on my hands because I was like, "Don't be that idiot who's up here with their press credentials cheering for your team. You should be objective." And so that reminder is is it's not as bad to me as the other thing about just even starting it off with their position on the ice. Yeah,
4: national television in between the benches. I don't know. Anyway, uh, good for Kendall Coyne. Great opportunity. And I think everything uh, that comes to her and the women that were involved in the All-Star festivities uh, have had it coming for an awful long time. And I mean the good stuff, not the mansplaining from Pierre Maguire.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like she wasn't even phased by it. So either A, she didn't notice, didn't care, or she was just being taking the high road and just she's a choosing to ignore it and just get on with the analysis and I'm, I want I'd be curious to know what went through his head after he said that and then she spouted off all that expert analysis right she he's like worried don't be a fan little girl and then immediately she rat- rattles off in 10 seconds a whole bunch of very useful facts about the yeah. hockey so she also
2: could have said yeah I can cross both those sides in four seconds flat and then just walked away but I don't <laughs> think she's gonna do that <laughs>
1: Well, we hear the term polar vortex a lot when it gets this cold. Well, we want to tell you about a different vortex. And uh, it's really, the pictures, I'm just looking at the picture now. It's hard to look at, Loren.
2: Yeah, this is because this is about a dog named Vortex who was brought to the attention of the Norway House Animal Rescue who was brought in by a family with a swollen face, lacerations to their face, and pellet wounds. And we want to update you on first what happened, and then, of course, how the dog is doing now. And to share more, we're joined by Norway House Animal Rescue spokesperson, Deborah Vandekirkov, and I apologize for your last name. Mm -hmm. Deborah. feel free to repeat that for me, and I'll get it right as we move forward this morning. Sure,
8: it's Vander Vandekirkov,
2: Vandekirkov, thank you. So tell us a bit about Vortex and and how he came to your attention.
8: Uh, Vortex came uh, to us from... Garden Hill, which is a a remote fly-in community um, in uh, the northern Manitoba uh, region, and there are some volunteers up in that community that um, do outreach and help with uh, stray animals and help owners with their animals as well. So uh, there was a few people in the community that had noticed him walking around with this rope, nylon rope, hanging from his neck with severe injuries and bleeding, obviously, profusely. And um, immediately, uh, Laura actually ran into him and uh, grabbed him right away and contacted us and let us know uh, about his injuries. And we were just really lucky that there just happened to be a plane um, coming into the community, and we just happened to have supplies already in the community, including a kennel. And we said, get him in that kennel and get him on that plane. And that's how uh, he came into care.
4: So much of figuring out where a dog is at physically has to do with their emotional reaction and, and, and the way they interact with people. How is Vortex doing on that front? Is he, is he interacting with, with people appropriately?
8: Uh, well, you know, he is actually, he was a known stray in the community. A lot of people have uh, fed him and have given him treats He's a really outgoing, social, um, friendly dog with, with a great disposition. Um, so apparently uh, when he had disappeared, um, he, he was seen the night before, and in the morning he was not. And then by 3.30 in the afternoon, um, he was walking around uh, towards people, looking at them, you know, with a blood-filled face and this rope hanging off of him and... Um, and you know obviously, somebody had done something to him. Uh, the, the veterinarians feel that that uh, somebody had either uh, hung him or they had t- tried to strangle him and he 's got a lot of facial injuries as well that are uh, that look like you know it appears that somebody has, was trying to hit him with with some sort of a object, and his eyes were completely full of blood as well and uh, he 's got a lot of pellets in him as well from uh, X-rays that were that were that showed up.
2: Have the police so, yeah. been brought in? We know RCMP, if if called, will investigate these. these. There are possible charges of animal cruelty that can be laid. Are the pre- police involved at this stage, Deborah?
8: Um, what we do at this point is we contact the uh, animal care line and we give them uh, all the information that we have and when he was seen and the connections uh, that they can follow up with. And it would be up to the animal care. Uh, To follow up with local RCMP as well, Um, and and that's where we kind of step out of it. We can only do, we can only put the report in and and hope that something is done. But we're we're never told if anything is ever done, and we're never even given a follow up as, as to whether or not the report has been received. Unfortunately, so I'm unaware. What do
2: we, what can, what do you think we can do about this? Because it's not the first case and unfortunately it won't be the last that we hear of these sorts of alleged incidents happening. Uh, we know in the Winnipeg court this week, a man was just sentenced, I think, for about 15 months for wounding another dog. And so there are punishments in place. I'm, I'm wondering if you feel that that goes far enough in deterring people from taking this action in the first place. Um, just allegations at this point for the dog vortex. But again, we know that this happens in, in all sorts of neighbourhoods and communities across this province.
8: It happens in a lot. And even in regards, do you remember the Gilligan's Island puppies? Yes. <laughs> okay <laughs> I, i'm I'm going to be honest here, and I'm going to put this out out there. We know who the person is that owns those puppies. We handed all of that information to the uh pr- provincial veterinarian. We have photographs of those puppies that we believe were the same puppies when they were very, very young. Everything was put in place. We've basically handed the mother and the situation on a platter and We haven't heard anything, and when we go back to the animal care line and say we would like an update, we're told, sorry, it's basically none of your business what is going on with any of the investigations, and we can't tell you. I can tell you that I've seen the mother of those puppies more than a few times when I've been up in Cross Lake, and I can tell you that we have given her a contraception implant to at least stop her from giving birth to more puppies until something is done in so, regards to that.
2: So again, just for our listeners, I think these were about a half a dozen puppies, right? They were found starving and, and a real...
8: De- That's right. They were abandoned on an island. Yeah, there were seven puppies. Yeah, seven, seven puppies that were abandoned on an island. And, and unfortunately, because we're not a governing body... We're, we're not privy to any information as to what's going on with any investigation either. So one of the things I think, and I've put this out publicly uh, on our social media page with Norway House Animal Rescue, and on my own page as well, what are some of the things that people would like to see happen? And one of the things that comes up a lot is that we would like to see the province seriously start looking at publicly posting when people are being charged or when people are charged for animal cruelty, we also feel, a lot of us also feel, that there needs to be a separate board uh, when it comes to the uh, sustainable development and the office of uh, the chief veterinarian office, right, of the Department of Agriculture. We need a board that helps monitor what's going on when it comes to animals, uh, animals in stress. What's happening with animal cruelty charges? I b- firmly believe, and a lot of people believe, we need to see what's going on, and we need to be privy to some of that information and what is going on with some of the with some of the investigations that are happening in the province. Right now, we have nothing. Right,
4: Deborah, is there a jurisdiction that's doing it the way you'd like to see it done here in Manitoba? Is there a model? Um,
8: I, I'm not sure if if there there are any um but similar to uh you there you know a lot of um like for, for example the winnipeg police department they have the police commissioner board right that w- will kind of oversee everything that that happens and there are some civilians that are on that panel as well so that you know everybody has a little bit of input our animal care hasn't changed since 1998 there was a um the province was planning to to do a full review i believe it was last spring and they gave $75,000 to do a review on 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 uh the animal care act and and with the province i haven't heard anything about it have you like the money was put in what happened you know, uh, nobody's seen anything to do with the review. So that would be very interesting as well to see what has happened uh, with that review and that money that was put into that review. And why haven't we had any changes since 1998 with our Animal Care Act?
1: Now, are we understanding correctly that Vortex is on the mend?
8: Vortex is doing okay. Um, Manitoba, Matsu uh, Dog rescue, they would be the people that would be posting um, the updates on vortex and how he is doing i 'm hoping that uh, he has one eye that was quite severely damaged, so we 're hoping that uh, that eye can be saved and uh, he 's slowly uh, getting better he 's got a lot of swelling, so as the swelling comes down, um, there may be secondary issues that will pop up uh, once they once they can see what 's going on behind behind the uh, swelling. But yeah, he was definitely not uh, treated very well. I'm really surprised that he actually survived the flight. So,
2: we'll, we'll uh, check in with you later this week, or early next week, to find out how Vortex is doing. In the meantime, thank you very much for your time, Deborah. Oh, thank
8: you. Thank you so much.
2: We're talking to Deborah Vanderkirkow from Norway House Animal Rescue. Thank you.
1: It's just, yeah, pellet wounds, lacerations, rope around his neck. You can only imagine what was being done to that dog, and and
4: I think that anything you can imagine is probably exactly what was happening to that animal.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show. Tell us what you think.